Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm so excited to bring you the follow-up conversation with Dr. Peter Bellini. We uh, answered several of your questions and they were such good questions. So much thought. Uh, we really wrestle with the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. How do we use those as Christians? What does it even mean? Uh, but let me also say this. If you haven't listened to episode, the first episode with Dr. Bellini, go back, listen to the episode, and then come and listen to these questions. They are so well thought out. He gives a lot of good theology, and not just theology, but practice on what it means to be a student and uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Dr. Peter Bellini. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you round two with Dr. Peter Bellini. Uh, we're going in to answer some of your questions to get that B12 Holy Spirit shot in the arm. Dr. Bellini, how the heck are you, sir? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me back. How are you doing, Pastor Tony? Oh, uh, so much better than I deserve. I, I love Amen. I love this topic and I love uh, love what God did with it last time, and so right. so I'm praying that God will continue to use it, uh, and people will will get a joy out of this. Uh, so let me jump in with the, the first question. Uh, this came from uh, our Facebook page, uh, the Reclamation Podcast with Tony Miltenberger. Um, how can you use the Holy Spirit for discernment for God's will? Right? What's the role of the Holy Spirit in discernment for God's right. will? And then how do you kind of use that on a daily basis? That's a great question. It's a great question. We're, you know, there's so many things as, a, <clears throat> as Christians that we're faced with, you know, challenges and decisions we need to make. And as believers, you know, uh, we're, we're, we're told that, you know, hey, when you're a Christian, Jesus is Lord. And if he's Lord, that means we submit to his will. <clears throat> well, what is his will? Mm. And uh, you know, we pray that in the Lord's Prayer. You know, not not my not my will, you know, thy will be done. The kingdom come, thy will be done. What's God's will? Um, I believe that we, we learn much of what God's will is from the scriptures. The scriptures reveal the mind and heart and will of God. And so I I, I, I tell people, you know, if you're trying to figure out what you know what uh, God has for your life maybe in general or in a calling or even in particular, begin to search the scriptures and hear the heart and mind of God on a particular area. Now, from that, of course, we know that the scriptures are inspired by God. So they're God-breathed, they're spirit-breathed. So the spirit is uh, breathing the, the word of God through the writers. So we're hearing the voice of God through scripture. And then also, when we read Scripture, we pray for illumination, so the Holy Spirit illumines our mind, so that the same Spirit that wrote Scripture is the same Spirit that's interpreting the Scripture. So, so do, do so you... So first, uh, that's the first piece, yeah. I'm going to get into other pieces, but that's, first of all, I like to make that clear, because with, with uh, persons that are, you know, focused on the person working the Holy Spirit, they often will put maybe personal experiences with the Holy Spirit, like hearing God's voice and hearing God's voice through prophecy and word of knowledge. Often that becomes the primary way for some, and they put that ahead of Scripture. And so, and I'm not in agreement with that. So that's why first I, I talk about Scripture, then I'll get to the other piece. But So we need to be led by God through God's, God's word first. But go ahead, you were going to say something. Well, I was going to say, when, when it comes to praying for the Holy Spirit as it illuminates our lives, it informs us as we read Scripture, 
Is, is that, um, that how, how do you do that? Get, get practical with this. Because I, I imagine the person who's asking this is because they're, they're searching for discernment. Can you give us an example of a, a type of prayer? We will, you know, and, I, and I'm going to get into some of the specifics even more detailed in, in light of that. But when I'm reading uh, the, the, the Word of God, and first of all, I guess I read the Word of God even a priori or prior to if, like, oh, I have a decision to make, so I'm going to crack the Bible mm, and I need right. God's answer book. So as I'm reading the Word of God in my daily devotions, why am I reading the Word of God? Well, ultimately for me, and I believe as disciples, we should be reading the Word of God for our, our worship and worshiping God, but ultimately to obey God, ultimately. Yeah. So if we're called to be disciples, it's to you know obey Him and all that He's taught us. So as I'm reading any time, whatever the purpose is, in the morning reading my daily devotions, Lord, <clears throat> illuminate me. Holy Spirit, give me illuminate my mind. You know, you've inspired these scriptures. Give me your understanding and show me, reveal to me your will for me as I read the word. Simple prayer like that, a prayer for um, illumination. A simple little collect, a little short prayer for illumination. Uh, just something so simple like that. Holy Spirit, give me, you know, give, give me an open heart. Help, help me to see what you have for me in this passage. Give me ears to hear and eyes to see, if you will. Um, what your will is in in this, what you're trying to convey to your people in general, and then what are you trying to say to me? What do I need to do? What do I need to be about? What are you calling me to as I'm reading this? I mean, maybe, maybe God's going to convict me, and the Spirit of God's going to illumine some area in my life that I need to change. Maybe there's some things I've left undone that God wants to point out. Maybe there's some direction given me in that scripture that some things I need to do. And so giving God uh, liberty to reveal through his word what his will is for his church, of course. It's not just for me. I mean, we want to take scripture personally, but it's also the understanding, of course, this is written more broadly to the church. But Lord, what is your will in it for me? So I think uh, trying to discern the will of God one goes to scripture first. From there, I think you can get some some direction, and then I think you can begin to pray and take time in prayer, especially over key issues like you know calling or vocational issues, sure, sure. or uh, maybe someone's trying to discern if the uh, a particular person that they've been with for a while, Lord, is are you calling me to covenant with them in marriage? <clears throat> Big life decisions like that. You take time to uh, pray. Hear the word, hear the voice of God, which I think we talked about a little before, and discern corporately. Discern with your leadership. Discern with your small group. Ask folk to pray for you. Um, we, 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 you know, there's wisdom in the multitude of counselors. It's good to be around the people of God and and ask them to pray as well for you. Maybe you can share with personal you know, accountability partner. Hey, this is what God's what has God shared with you on this since I've had you praying. Well, here's what I felt. You know, they can speak into your life. Personally, though, the ultimate, when it comes down to it, when I'm talking about hearing God and discerning God's call, I look for the fruit of the Spirit in what God speaks to me. So if I'm in prayer time and I think I've heard from God, I'm trying to discern, I like to, I expect in the hearing, the actual hearing, the receiving of whatever God's impressing on my soul, if it's God, 
it will echo, it will reflect, it will reverberate with the fruit of the Spirit. So what's the love, that? Yeah. the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, or temperance, or self-control. I, I expect within the Word to hear that, and I expect when I walk that out to, that the fruit will be produced as well. That's the confirmation, ultimately. That's how Wesley saw the witness of the Spirit. Because that's what we're talking about, what's called the inward witness of the Spirit, where the Spirit bears witness or speaks the truth to your spirit. And that usually is going to occur through the fruit in your life and even life where or even in your life where others can see, specifically in this terms of call, especially if you're called to something. So, so let's dive into that a little bit more because that's a lot of uh, really heady stuff. There's a lot. So if, to make it simple, I look for the objective will of God in his word, and I, I look also to have that confirmed subjectively in my prayer life through the witness of the Spirit, confirmed by the fruit of the Spirit in me and in others. Can you give me an example from your life? I mean, I know you were in pastoral ministry and then you made the, the jump to United Theological Seminary. And how did you use the Holy Spirit to discern that uh, change in your call? Well, well, early on, I always knew I was called into ministry. And I, and I just early on felt the Holy Spirit telling me that, that he was calling me to you know, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to be a, a minister and a witness of, of the gospel. And I just, I, I explored the scriptures to see what that meant, mm. what that meant, because I came out of atheism, as I shared before. So I read a lot of the uh, the pastoral uh, letters, the pastoral epistles in First and Second Timothy to look at what God's uh, portrait is of a man or woman of God. What, what's, what's a man or woman of God supposed to look like? in terms of what are they called to, but what, what are some of the character attributes or characteristics and these sort of things to see is almost like a check, kind of checkpoints to see, Lord, you know, is, is this me? Do, like in a Methodist tradition, we say, do you, have the, do you have the grace and the gifts for the calling? Mm. So I look to the scriptures to kind of confirm if uh, what I felt in my heart is what uh, the, the, the biblical um, portrait of a minister um, is so that that's where you know that's where I began and begin to see even some of the areas where maybe I fell short mm. so it became areas that I was able to um, pray into bring before God have others pray for me mm. about some of those uh, some of those issues so it was in the word of God where I where I found more detail as to okay Lord you're calling me to be a witness of the gospel. You're calling me to minister. What What do you mean by that? What does that look like? Now, of course, it gets <clears throat> fleshed out more in our in my denomination. I'm United Methodist because we have a certain process one goes through, and you get and when you're in that process, it's a discerning process. So that's part of more the corporate aspect I was talking about. So you have the objective uh, witness that's in the Word of God, and God confirms that subjectively in you through the Holy Spirit. But then also that witness is socially confirmed or confirmed in the body. So you go through that discerning process with mentors and these sort of things who pray over you, who uh, guide you, hold you accountable, these, these sort of... Uh, and if you're in the Holy Spirit, it'll be confirmed again and again and again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, that's all that those are. Those are confirmations. The Word of God is the objective truth that we, we base our, our faith and practice on. And then the inner witness of the Holy Spirit in me and how it manifests in fruit and that fruit seen by others and, and they confirm it. It's just that it's, it's confirmation. And I say that's important because I walk in charismatic circles where that becomes primary. 
You know, did you hear a prophetic word? Did you get a word from God? And that becomes the primary way. For me, that's confirmation. It's secondary. I don't hold my personal subjective experience. I don't hold it with equal weight that I hold the scriptures and the traditions interpretation of the scriptures. Which makes a lot of sense because we're still, you know, fallen beings, so to speak, imperfect, yeah, sinful right, people. So right. uh, sometimes my feelings can't be trusted. Right. Most times my feelings can't be right. trusted. I like the corporate wisdom of, yeah. the, of those who had gone before us, the confessors, the martyrs, mm. these these great men and women of God who have a, uh, you know, there's this unified voice that echoes what the scriptures say uh, in terms of what we believe uh, at all times and in all places. I love it. Okay, second question. This one's a, a little uh, more theologically minded Uh-oh. from a friend of mine named Justin, who's a, a, a great guy, does a ton for disciple making in the Miami Valley. He, he writes in and said this, uh, you say that the Holy Spirit lives in us and that Jesus is at the right hand of the father, but doesn't scripture also teach that Jesus lives in us? He referenced Galatians 2.20, Ephesians 3.17, 2 Corinthians 13.5. If Jesus also lives in us, how is his work in us distinct from the Holy Spirit's? Right. That's a very th- good question and a theological question. And you may get different persons answer it differently. I'm a, I am a traditional pro-Nicene <clears throat> Trinitarian. Nobody knows what that means. <laughs> I'm, old, I'm old school with this. And so pro Nicene Trinitarian. Yeah, so I mean, I'm yay and amen with uh, the Nicene Creed and and its uh, formula to interpret the faith and, and interpret scriptures. Um, all that said, yes, I affirm what you're saying. Christ lives in us. You know, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ lives within us, and the Galatians two twenty passage. Uh, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But it's not I, but it's Christ who lives within me. Um, but kind of going back to what I'd said earlier um, in the first broadcast, Christ lives in us through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. So Christ doesn't dwell in me, but you know, Christ is risen and ascended in his resurrected body. How does he? How can he live in all the believers? He he does through the Holy Spirit, and so we need to remember that the Trinity is one being, one divine being. So it's God, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God in three persons, and their will and their works are undivided. So wherever there's one person working, the other two are working in doing God's one will. So. Um, we cannot, in, in one sense, ultimately divide the works of the, the what are called the extra works, as the works in in this world and creation in you in, in you and me. We can't divide those works; they are united. So, the Holy Spirit in Jesus, the Word become flesh, the second person of the Trinity, and the Father. They all, they're all, there's one divine will. They're all working the same will and purpose. So it's not like the Holy Spirit is doing one thing and Jesus is doing something else. They're working together, one will. Now, what we see, though, is sometimes we will <clears throat> characterize that one will of God 
uh, and, and we're looking at the various operations and workings of the Trinity, and so we may attribute that to, well, that's the work of the Holy Spirit, or you know, the the the, the death on the cross, the atonement. That's the work of the second person. What we're saying is, is we're saying we're not saying that the rest of the members of the Trinity are not involved. They are, as I said before, those works are undivided. But we we are giving a kind of a spotlight for the purpose of communicating to say, you know, highlighting that it's the Son, uh, you know, who, the work of the atonement. That's the work of the Son on the cross, and the Holy Spirit lives within us. It's it's a it's a fancy term called the doctrine of appropriations, and so. Um, that's what we mean when we say that. But ultimately, if I, whatever I'm saying about the Holy Spirit working in, in me, you know, the, this is not apart from what Jesus does, what the what, uh, and what the Father is doing. Uh, they're they're working together. So yes, Christ lives within me. But like John tells us, when Jesus said, "I'm going away to prepare a place, and uh, it's better that I go because I will send another Comforter." who will not just be with you, which Christ was with them. He was a, he's a comforter that was with them. But I'll send another comforter who will dwell in you. He was referring to the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit, what he's doing, he's not doing his own work. Jesus tells us that in John 14, 16. He's not bearing witness to himself. He's bearing witness to the person and work of Christ. So everything that the person and, everything that the person and work of Christ is and does is being worked out in us through the Holy Spirit. And everything that the person and work of Christ is about is not even bearing witness to himself, but to the will of the Father. So we're, 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 we're talking about the work of the Trinity. So in that sense, the, um, the persons, of course, are distinct, but they're not divided. So Christ does dwell in me, but it's, it's, through, the Holy, it's through the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't mean Christ doesn't dwell in me. These three are one. If the Holy Spirit's living in me, then so was the Father and the Son living in me. So can I look at something and be like, oh, that's Jesus in me and that's the Holy Spirit in me? Or is it more like, man, that's just God in me? Yeah, you could say that's just God in me. And if you were to say I'm filled with the Spirit, that would fit in. And if you would just say Christ dwells within my heart richly, that it all works. It's not like there's three different departments and they're in competition with each other and the Holy Spirit's counting up how many times you've prayed to Jesus and you haven't prayed to him or, or what. There's or a tally in the back room. <laughs> right, right. right. I, I, well, do, do people ever get slain in Jesus? Oh, <laughs> Instead of slain in the spirit? I, I don't know. I'm asking. I don't know. Well, I would say that if you're slain in the, if you're slain in, in the spirit, that that's the work of the Father uh, through the Son and the power of the Spirit. Oh, I love it. I love it. It's That's that's good. I never thought about it like that. That's a, a very, uh, that's a good Good approach. Good approach there. And so. that was how the early church looked at it. They looked at the Trinity in terms of how they worshipped and confessed and how they prayed. So early on, they saw that all things are, you know, they're from the Father. They're by the Father's will. But it happens, you know, through the Son. He's the mediator and in the power of the Spirit. Yeah. And now you said uh, you're pro-Nicene. And do you do you happen to know the Nicene Creed off the top of your head? I don't. I'm, I'm asking because <laughs> I don't. One God, right? the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, of all the seen and unseen. Yeah, I can rattle it off. That's good. Head. That's so good. No, I could rattle that off because of my Catholic upbringing. Right. Because we had to say that every Sunday in Mass. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, yeah. We. I, so when you get started, like I could, I can jump in, but I can't, uh, I can't, 
I get the creeds mixed up because now I'm saying the apostles. Because we have the apostles' yeah, creed shorter, creed a lot. and then I worship with my wife at the Eastern Orthodox Church. She's Eastern Orthodox, and so of course they don't have the, you know, the, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, which is what we say in the Catholic Church and in the United Methodist Church. In the Orthodox Church, we don't say that. You say, "I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Giver of Life, who proceeds from the Father." And with the Father and Son is worshiped and glorified. So it doesn't have that. And the Son, which in Latin means filioque, fancy word. So it's a little different. And sometimes where we translate being, who is one in being with the Father in the, the Catholic and Protestant version, we say one in essence with the Father. They mean the same thing, but sometimes the translated words in English are a little different. You know, one's coming from Greek, one's coming from, uh, from, from Latin. Does the liturgy- but it's all good, man. It's all good. It's all Does- God. It's all Father, Son, Holy Ghost. So that uh, little tangent, does the, like, you and I are both fairly charismatic, you know, and we believe in the, and in, in kind of hang in some charismatic circles. You're, you're a little further along than I am in the journey, um, but um, it seems like there's an absence of that power of the Holy Spirit in some of those liturgical churches that you mentioned. How, how, does, how do you reconcile that? Yeah, that, man, that's a deep question, you know, that's really deep. Tony, what I try to do, Pastor Tony, what I try to do <clears throat> is I've seen in the past that people will use either intentionally or unintentionally, often unintentionally, the emphasis on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. The unintentional results are because of maybe our weakness, our flesh, or our overzealousness. It becomes a point of division in the church. It becomes mm-hmm. a point of division where it becomes almost like, you know, Pick the phenomena, someone slain in the spirit, someone prophesies, someone speaks in tongues. Whatever your, you know, your choice uh, work is that you want to celebrate, it seems that often that is used to bring division where like those who have it, the haves are like first flying first class into heaven. Right. And the have-nots are flying in second class or, or with the, the luggage at the bottom of the plane. And, and it's saying that, which I am obviously uh, not in agreement with, um, I've learned over the years to to be more discerning of how the Holy Spirit works because the Holy Spirit, the work of God is so great and large and so vast and God is wise. God is able to work in in so many different ways and in, in varieties of personality types and ecclesial cultures, if you will, different church cultures, that it's not good to kind of just put them in a box to say unless this happens, the Holy Spirit's not moving in your church. All that to say, I think when you go to a liturgical church like uh, the Orthodox Church or the Roman Catholic Church, you need to kind of uh, tune your uh, receiver in to a different frequency than what you're used to if you're charismatic. Because if you're looking for a lot of those subjective manifestations, you're not going to find them in the service. Now, of course, in the Catholic Church, they do have a charismatic movement, which is powerful. They do have charismatic groups and, 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 and different kinds of services where you see that happen. So you do see it happen in a lot of these um, more traditional churches like the Episcopalian Church, Catholic, Lutheran. They do have charismatic groups and contingencies. But in their main services, you may not see that. You normally won't because especially if they're, they have rote liturgies. You have the right. divine liturgy. You have the mass there's no place in that liturgy to say, oh, now someone speak in tongues and someone interpret. 
All that to say that we need to broaden the bandwidth of our receiving the Holy Spirit and realizing how diversely God can work. So subjectively, you won't see those kind of manifestations. But if you you tune into the objective transcendent, especially the transcendent work of the Holy Spirit in a larger sense over the, you know, the, over the history of the church and over the cosmos, this kind of larger macro sort of big picture view of the Holy Spirit, you will sense the work of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> in those churches, but it's going to look differently, same spirit, but it's going to look differently than it does in some of these uh, more charismatic churches where there may be more external more external expressions or manifestations, maybe a little more vocal, where in these places it may be, it's going to be more quieter, more contemplative, but it's going to be um, things that you see in the uh, immensity and transcendence of God, uh, in the magnanimity of God, the bigness, if you will, of yeah. God, is to speaking to the average person, rather than just, and, and again, I don't want to minimize either side, Rather than, oh, this is God gave me a personal word for this. I, I validate both of them. It's all God. It's just the difference, the different ways, the varied ways that God works. So I try not to dismiss uh, what are the true moves of God that happen in a lot of different church cultures that may not be my church culture or your church culture. I'm not apt to say, hey, if it doesn't look exactly like what we're doing, it's not of God. Right, right. Well, and I think that's so important. I feel like lately God's been <clears throat> telling me that, uh, that, it, it, there's no benefit in trying to understand God. I, I want a God that's bigger than my understanding. Right. I need a God that's bigger than my understanding. Right. And that's why a lot of persons enjoy and are going back to the, the, the liturgical churches and some of these traditional forms of worship because they're looking for a God that's bigger than their, their little Sunday experience or the next, you know, uh, spiritual high that they're on to take them through the week. They're looking for something that's bigger than themselves. Not only a God that's bigger than them, which of course we we want. That's why God's get, but also a tradition yeah. that is rooted in history and rooted in with this yeah, kind of riches that's, yeah. that's that's larger than what I feel. Yeah, because some days you're in a charismatic church, you go in and you don't feel like raising your hands or hooting or hollering. You feel low, and then it's like you need an experience to pick you up. And and there's there's places for that. But then if you're in a liturgical church, the liturgy is uh, is is all is immovable. It's always the same. And in this sense. It doesn't, it's not banality or boring, the sameness. It, it, it's, it's stability and consistency. It's transcendent. It, it, it reveals who God is and God's word and God's work above and beyond what I feel or what I think. And so sometimes we need something stable like that that we, we, can, we can build on. It's true. It's time-tested. Uh, I love it all. I love God any way that God desires to show God's self, I love the Lord. So, man, if I'm in a Baptist church, this maybe don't. It's not on the charismatic end. They're not believing in the gifts, and they're not on the high church end. Uh, these two different uh, expressions of Christianity we've been talking about, and it's you know maybe they're just doing some expository preaching, and there's no icons on the wall, and but and people ain't lifting up holy hands. Man, if 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 the spirit of the Lord is there, I'm gonna feel the spirit of God. If we're worshiping in spirit and truth, I could worship anywhere. Yeah, no, I, could, I love. That. I could worship anywhere, man. God is too big, and the thing we all have to remember: God always outperforms our theology. 
Say that one more time for the people in the back. <laughs> you know, we're always worried about if we get our theology right. I think on the last day when God is grading our exam, there's going to be a lot of red ink. Yeah. <laughs> in terms of did we get this right? Did we get that? Did we get all cross all of our T's and dot all of our I's? Uh, no, we 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 did not get it all right. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of red ink, but it doesn't matter. God often outperforms, always outperforms our theology. Mm. So, you know, I'm Wesley, and I have certain proclivities of what I believe. I got Calvinist friends that, you know, I think theologically there may be some things that I don't agree with them on. I don't think they're right on. Uh, yet I see them living for the Lord, producing fruit, sharing their faith, advancing the kingdom. You know, why? Because I think God outperforms our theology. If God's reduced to how accurate we are, and I'm not saying theology is not important. It is. But if, if, if God's reduced to how well we've got them in a theological <clears throat> box, then we're in trouble. God outperforms our theology. We better so bank, bank on that. That's so good. Okay, question number three. Question number three. We're moving right along. Moving right along. Uh, this comes from uh, <clears throat> somebody and shot us a message. It says, are the gifts given to every person regardless or only after being born again? They reference 1 Corinthians 12 as the list of the gifts. But are the gifts given to every person regardless or only after Man, being born again? that's a good question because if you slice that, you see, you know, where it's at. The first, the easy response will be, well, you know, unless you're saved or born again, you can't have the Holy Spirit and thus you can't have the gifts. Yeah, in one sense, that's true. But in another sense, I believe that God calls us from when we're in a mother's womb and even before. I believe that from the foundation of the earth, God knows. Now, I'm not going to get into a predestination versus foreknowledge kind of argument. I, I don't want to, that's not where we're going with this. So I just want to say that I think God n knew that he was going to make you, Tony, create you, Tony. Yeah. And I think he had a call and a purpose for you. Hmm. And I think that calling and purpose required a certain uh, mix of gifts that he intended to give you. So in that sense, I believe God has prepared us long before we were ever manifested or came into instantiated into this world that God had gifts set apart for us. Now, when we're born and we're walking, say, you know, we're not living for the Lord, um, can God use those those gifts? God can do whatever God wants. I don't think it's normative. I don't think it's that's the norm. But I do know that sometimes people can use their gifts that are from God that uh, they're not using for the kingdom of God. So I know people that can maybe have a musical gift or something or a gift of leadership or like myself, you know, I think one of my gifts is teaching. I'm a professor now. But before I knew, and I always knew that I had that in me. I knew from second grade that I was called to be a teacher, first or second grade. I always knew that. How did I know that? I think God put that within me. And when I watched my teachers and whatnot, it resonated. That's what I want to do. But. Um, when I was uh, working on my master's degree in philosophy, like we talked about the first uh, podcast, I was an atheist. I wasn't living for God. Right. If I wouldn't have got converted, I would have went on, finished my master's, got my PhD, and I probably would have been a professor. That was my intention. But I wouldn't have been uh, uh, fulfilling God's purpose and using that mm. gift the way God called me to. It would have been probably a, a misuse of my gift because I would have been, you know, here's me, an atheist professor. I wouldn't have been promoting uh, the gospel or Christ. 
but the gift was still from, from God. And the gifts and the calling, Scripture says, are without repentance. God will judge me based on how I use that gift. But if he gives it to me, he doesn't ta- you know, he's not taking that gift away. So all that said, I believe from the foundation of the earth, God knows what kind of gifts he wants to give us. Some of those gifts are even manifested before we know Christ. A lot of times they come in the form of natural talents like musical gift or leadership gifts or whatnot. And if we're not living for the Lord, they can be misused. Hmm. You know, so there's a lot of persons who are musical. God give them a gift, and they may not be using that vocal gift or that ability to play piano or guitar for the Lord to misuse of gifts. When they get converted, hopefully they're consecrating those gifts to God, letting God use those natural gifts that now become sanctified gifts, if you will, and, and use those gifts for his glory. All that said, some of the gifts... Not all of them. Some of them, like the First Corinthians 12 list, a lot of those gifts are very, uh, in, in their expression, very distinct in that sense, supernatural, you know, like prophecy yeah. and uh, working of miracles, that kind of thing. Um, I still believe similarly that God may have given you those, called you to have those from the foundation of the world, but some of those gifts may not be activated until uh, you are born again and walking and working in, in the Spirit. All that to say, yet, I've known persons that have been given the gift of prophecy, for example. And I believe they had that. God called them that from the foundation of the world once again. But then when they were living their life, they weren't living for Jesus. And they used it for divination, witchcraft, Mm. prognostication, and uh, misusing it. So I believe that God gave them that proclivity, that capacity to prophesy but instead of being filled with the Holy Spirit to prophesy by the Holy Spirit in the name of Christ for the glory of God, instead of doing that, they were using that gift, misusing it for, uh, for, for the opposite, to, now, are, for not for the glory of God. Are there gifts of the demonic or uh, of the evil one? Well, I, I believe that all good good gifts come from the Father of Light. So it, all good gifts come from God. Can the devil? The devil doesn't create anything. Everything that's in this universe was created by God. All things were created by Him. Without Him, there's nothing made that was made. So where does the devil? The devil's actually a created being, isn't he? The devil is uh, known by his former role and status as a, an archangel, Lucifer. He's a created being. So being a created being is like every other created being. He's given his existence from God and lives within the limitations of the existence that God, in essence, that God gives him. Mm. So he's limited. Now, in this case, he took his gift, archangel, some say worship leader in heaven, whatever it may have been, and and has fallen, fell. And now he misuses that for the purposes of, for self-serving purposes, for, for evil and against God's kingdom. So that would be an example of someone misusing the gifts of God. But Satan and his fallen angels cannot create anything. All things are created by God. What the devil does is he deceives us to misuse them, to pervert them, to distort those gifts, to get them to be used, for again, for the wrong purposes, for, for his glory, for to still kill, still, still kill and destroy his mission, his mission statement. So how how would you define this idea of spiritual warfare, right? Let let me give you an example because um, uh, something's been on my heart recently and with church attendance. So uh, God's doing a lot of cool stuff here at Restoration. I I mean, it's amazing to watch. And and one week we have the highest attended 
in our children's ministry and in worship that we've ever had. Whoa, it was well, amazing. God. Praise God, right? And the next week, like, it was the lowest that we've had since March. <laughs> now, I'm still praising God, right? Because right? right. it, it's all from God. But is that spiritual warfare? Or is that just the community decided to take a winter vacation? Right, right, right. I, I, How do you mm. define spiritual warfare in yeah. today's world? Oh, wow, that's tough. Well, you know... Uh, I can't tell you why those people didn't show up. I'm sure if you researched it out, there'd be a lot of different reasons. Sure, but what is there some sort of hidden group text that I don't know about? Like, <laughs> the, like get, what? Get the right. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I think sometimes it's too easy to say that everything's the devil. Right. And it's too easy to say that nothing's the devil. Mm, tell know? me more about that. So, you know, you got your spirit-filled folk. You know, we're talking about the Holy Spirit, charismatic folk. They want to see everything, every little thing that happens. It happens for some particular, specific spiritual reason that they need to know about. And if anything happens that they that they interpret as evil, then it must have been a devil, must have been de- a demon. And we're looking under every rock for for a devil uh, or a demon that causes it like this situation. Man, we had great attendance, and boom, the next week, nobody showed up. Man, it must have been a devil. Perhaps it could have been a devil, but I don't think necessarily it absolutely is the devil. And sometimes I'm more of a, when it comes to spiritual warfare and dealing with the demonic, I'm more of a both-and person than an either-or. In other words, I think there could be multiple causality. I think there could be many causes of things. I don't think something is merely just the devil, though it can be. But there are other uh, intermediate causes that the devil could work through. You know, the devil can work through things where he can bring up something, some frivolous thing that person, a person feels, well, I have to go to this. I can't make it to church or whatever. And the devil can use that, for right. example. Or the enemy could put, uh, you know, a sickness on someone. Hey, pastor, I'm sorry I didn't come to church. You know, I had a real bad flu. You know, okay, that sounds legitimate. That, and that may have, it may not necessarily have come from the devil, but it's possible it could have come from the devil. There's a lot of different causes and layers or levels of causality, at least I believe. So it's not just merely one thing. So when I deal with the demonic, I try to deal with things on all the different levels of causality. So when I go to pray or minister, you know, I'm working at it from multiple levels. So is it possible that that was the devil that uh, kept people from your church the next week? Yes. Um, is it absolutely sure that it was? I, I do not know that. I do not know that. I mean, right, listen, I, I, I'm I sure also wondered, has their excuse. I also wondered if it was just maybe God trying to keep me humble. It, and, and again, multiple causes. God can allow something like that to happen for that. Right. And the, and the devil is not a... a, a um, a, 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 there's no duality. It's not like the devil is an equal, uh, has equal power like the father does, and you know they're playing this chess match to see who has humanity. The devil is a created being. He's a pawn of God. God uses him and allows things. He plays with the devil. The devil's a dupe. So he can. It could be God trying to humble you, and he could use the enemy, and he could use a whole lot of other things. Yeah. So I try to discern if I know something to see if something is demonic. There's various things that I that I that I look for, but um, spiritual warfare, which your, which your question actually is, is to recognize which the church often doesn't. And I know this is not the topic of the conversation. No, it's okay. Let's go but there. But it, it's, it's um, what you alluded to. The fact of the matter is Scripture tells us there is a devil. There is a fallen angel, <laughs> Lucifer, that we know by Satan or the devil, the slander, the liar, the adversary. And he has angels. If we're interpreting Revelation and the third of, of, of the stars that fell with him, well, an innumerable, innumerable amount of angels, and the fallen one's a third of whatever that innumerable is. So a whole lot of devils, 
look at the world around us, that's not hard to figure out. But Scripture tells us that there is evil and that it's personified. You have fallen beings, these evil spirits. And uh, they were around in Jesus' time, and they didn't go out of style or fade out or can be explained away by science today, in my opinion. So there is, uh, there is a devil, and believe it or not, you know, he is out to, he's out to steal, kill, and destroy. He's out to thwart the work and will of God uh, in our lives, in the church, and in the world. And so, therefore, uh, he will oppose you. Mm. He's the voice of temptation. If, you, if, if believing in demons is too much for you, uh, at least acknowledge it metaphorically that we all struggle with quote-unquote demons and that we have a voice of temptation. Every one of us hears something that whispers in our conscience to be or do something that is not the will of God. Yeah. And then I'd say, boom, there you go. That's the evil one. And we're called to resist the devil. It says in James chapter 4, it tells us, submit yourselves to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. Jesus resisted the devil. We're called to resist the devil. In our baptismal vows in the United Methodist Church, part of our vows are to to resist, renounce and resist evil of all forms. Mm. So whether that's personal evil that attacks me or evil that is social or communal that attacks my community, my world, um, I'm called to, to do all I can with what God's given me to be a part of resisting that. That's what spiritual warfare is. It's why it's That's why it's called warfare, because the devil is, is trying to assault the, the church and does and the world. That's why it's warfare. We're at war. And why is it spiritual warfare? Because Bible says the Bible says we war not against people. We don't war against flesh and blood. Right. You know, you're mad at the pastor. Well, the pastor's not your enemy. You're mad at the Democrats. They're not your enemy. You're mad at the Republicans. They're not your enemy. You're mad at your bishop. Your bishop's not your enemy. You're mad at your neighbor. Ultimately, your neighbor's not your enemy. The warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against uh, spiritual powers. And the scripture uses those fancy words, principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places, the rulers of the darkness of this world, these so-called, you know, uh, power structures and governments of demonic forces that uh, that are there. That's what we're, f- we're fighting. We're not fighting people. So it's a spiritual warfare. We don't fight it with guns and swords. Jesus told Peter, when Peter said, hey, man, I got a sword here. I can get more. He said, put that sword away. Right. Uh, so he cut, he cut his ear off. He did cut a guy's <laughs> ear off. Yeah, Jesus wasn't mad when he cut somebody. Church, church folk shouldn't be cutting people. <laughs> so he did that. But our, uh, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, physical, or the King James says carnal, but they're spiritual. They're mighty through the pulling down of strongholds. You can't fight the devil with an AK-47. You know, you fight them with the word of God. Yeah. You fight them with the, the name, name of, of Jesus, Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Right. Those are our weapons. That's why it's called spiritual warfare. And a lot of times for the folk that on the other end that don't know about this stuff, that nothing's the devil, a lot of them are in bondage. Mm. A lot of our believers from day to day, Pastor Tony, are in bondage <clears throat> to various things, maybe addictions. Define, define bondage. Uh, you know, bondage is they're chained. They, they're their will, up, right? their yeah. will is yeah. bound. Their will is chained. The th- the good that they want to do, they can't do. The things that they don't want to do, they find themselves doing. Like Paul talked about in Romans seven. So maybe, for example, like an addiction, someone who is addicted to whatever uh, alcohol, illegal substances, uh, legal substances, uh, work pornography, gambling, whatever the addiction may be, what's going on there? The person's will is bound. They, one of the ways you know addiction is you can't step. Yeah. You're not free to say no. 
You know, you have to have a drink. You can't say no to the drink. You 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 have to gamble. You can't say no to whatever your your vice of gambling is: horses, lottery, football, whatever. You're you're bound. You're chained. Mm. You're not free to do the will of God. That's what true freedom is: freedom to live righteously. That's that's what freedom is. The will's bound. You're in addiction. You're bound up. The enemy uses that. The enemy, big time. That's one of his big departments, if you will. Uh, in his uh, in his mission enterprise is uh, addictions. Mm. America's bound in addiction. So a lot of persons don't realize, <clears throat> yeah, there's a psychological element, talking about multiple levels of causality. Yeah, maybe you can explain it by your family of origin, the way you were raised. Sure. Maybe you have genetic proclivities to alcoholism, another level of causality. See, there's multiple levels. But the enemy also can use all of that to tempt you into it because you have a weakness or a proclivity in that area. Multiple levels of causality. We'll go to a counselor. We'll go to AA. We'll go to NA. We'll take meds. All good things. I affirm all of those. But we rarely think, wow, I wonder what what hand the devil has in this. How do I oppose what he's trying to do in the midst of this? how he's using it. That's the spiritual warfare piece. So we often neglect that. A lot of our people in our churches are bound and perish because they have a lack of knowledge. They don't know the schemes of the devil. Mm. Paul talks about that. He says, we're not unwise to the schemes of the devil. He recognized Satan as schemes. Ephesians 6 calls him in King James the wiles of the devil. That's a funny word. I like to use yeah. that word because a lot of us grew up on like Bugs Bunny cartoons. A wily Coyote. The Roadrunner and the Wily Coyote. He was wily. He had that he had all these devices and strategies I and tactics it. that he got from the Acme Corporation trying <laughs> to trap that little bird. Now, I couldn't understand why he wanted to trap that bird. He didn't have no meat on him to fill, a, fill the coyote up. It was all skin and bones. But I guess he was in the desert, and that's all that he can eat was that that skinny road runner. But he tried every cunning tactic to try to trap that bird. He's wily. He's trying to be cunning, strategic. That's how the devil is. He's trying to trap us with every strategy, any kind of device he can to lure us in. Because he wants, he wants us. He wants our soul. Uh, so wild strategies of the devil. The, the word in the Greek is literally means methods, his, mm. his ways, his strategic ways. Our people don't know these kind of things, so I think they need to be aware yeah, of it's so important. Warfare. Yeah. So important. <clears throat> so important. We've been we've been talking about that as a, a staff team here and just praying through that. In addition to doing all the things that we need to do to make sure you know we're 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 doing our part in it, but but praying for that spiritual warfare and rebuking things in the name of Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a skill. It's something we can do. It's, we can do it. Yeah, absolutely, because it's God doing it. Right. He says, put on the armor of God. Who's it the armor of? It's not my own armor. No, it's God's armor. It's God's armor. It means the armor that belongs to God. But even more, I think that that phrase in the Greek would mean that God is the armor. Mm. So we're putting on the attributes of God, which are the armor. So it says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, that breastplate of righteousness, it's not my righteousness, it's his righteousness. Yeah. So I'm putting on God's righteousness, belt of truth, the truth that he, he's the way, the truth, and the life. So we're putting on, literally putting on God. I think it's another metaphor that Paul uses, like putting on the, the, the new man or the new woman, yeah. like, like new clothes, like clothing. In this case, put on God as an armor, in other words. I love it. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So he's do, he's doing all of the the battle. We're just hiding under the shadow of the Almighty. Uh, amen. That's good. Uh, so, okay, one more question. Yo. Um, 
<laughs> We've got the Holy Spirit Seminar coming up in a couple of weeks. It is. Um, and Dr. Randy Clark's going to be there. Yes. And he is a, a world-renowned uh, healer and a charismatic leader. And one of the things that they're going to do at the Holy Spirit Seminar is impartations. So uh, for our audience who, who might be um, new to this kind of thinking mm. language, what is an impartation and have you ever been imparted on and what was that like? <laughs> I don't think that's the right way to say no, it. No, that's but. okay. That's okay. Yeah, some of the language. This is church culture language. Right, right, right. Every church kind of speaks a little different dialect of Christian. I like you. I grew up Catholic and we didn't, right. we didn't talk about no. I, Listen, I didn't hear about impartations until I was... You know, six right. years into my right. pastoral ministry in Methodism right. at, at United Theological Seminary. Right. Different church culture. But in the Catholic Church, though, we did something um, that was similar. We just don't do it frequently and in the same way. So, like, for example, um, the, your, you know, your bishops uh, are, are consecrated and someone lays hands on them. Yeah, I mean, during confirmation. And right? then in Is confirmation, that's an impartation, right? Exactly. So when we got confirmed, or, or uh, it was a time where you're supposed to have received the Holy Spirit, the chrismation. When you get that, the bishop even laid hands on you. So what, what's being said in that? Well, the Bible talks about a doctrine of laying on of hands. It's in Hebrews yeah. 6, and you see it implemented throughout Scripture. So that, that, that laying on of hands, I believe, is, um, is symbolic of something that's happening in the Spirit. It's an external sign of an inward reality. And that external sign is, okay, we're laying our hands on you, and that somehow we are like mediators, if you will, or uh, carriers of what God is trying to do, and that is to impart unto you his anointing, his Holy Spirit, a call for you. So often for us, as, and as Methodists, we had this done too. It's an impartation of God's call, yeah. God's authority to go and to preach and teach and, and minister the sacraments and, and, and go and take order. That is, is symbolically mediated or transferred to us through the laying on of hands. It's an outward sign of something going on inwardly. So in the liturgical church, that's how that works. I would say that charismatics have their own liturgy and liturgical practices, and that's one of them. With charismatic Pentecostals, the whole notion is that same laying on of hands and impartation that you see like in the Catholic Church or in the liturgical churches can happen all the time for whatever God has for you, for whatever God has for you. So um, if you have like a, a, whatever the, for example, Randy will probably be sharing, he'll be teaching a whole lot of things. So whatever he's teaching you, he's teaching from his anointing for what God's given him a call to teach. When he lays hands on people, it'll be to impart what God's given him to give to you. Mm. Now, that happens, sure, when you hear with your ears, you know, and you see with your eyes, but it also happens through prayer and when someone lays their hands on you. So there'll be something given to you. That's what impartation is. So, you know, like uh, yesterday, um, well, a week ago, no, no, it was, no, two days ago, I ordered something on Amazon. Right. For my daughter, it's a gift. I ordered something for her on Amazon Prime, so it came in one day. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, the, 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 the Amazon Prime is uh, the mediator in a sense, they're giving that gift, they're not the gift, they're not even the sender ultimately of that gift, they're the mediator that's giving that gift to me to give uh, to my daughter. So, similarly, that's what's happening there. God gives gifts. Dr. Clark is Amazon Prime. He's Amazon Prime. 
Easy Amazon Prime. I like to use even UPS because UPS is so unassuming. It's this brown, a nasty brown, unassuming, bland, plain truck and some unassuming person with their brown, bland hat and their brown uniform. They're not the object of all of this. So when we operate in these gifts of the Spirit, it's not about us. Right. We're called to be humble. All we are is the UPS person making the delivery. So that's what's happening there. They're giving, they're giving me my package. They're giving me my gift that i got to give to my daughter. That's all he is. His imparting. That's what the impartation is. So He's giving you an impartation you, of his gift. Have you been given from God? Have you been given a gift? I mean, have you been imparted yeah, on? Yeah, yeah. Uh, can you share that story? Yeah, I've received impartation. <clears throat> I think the first time I received impartation is when I got filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When I was a young believer. I was uh, coming out of atheism, as you know. I reluctantly went to a friend's uh, service he told me to go to. It was a big revival service. <clears throat> and he says, you need to come because this uh, minister really operates in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that language for me was very unfamiliar because I was Catholic. And then my atheism washed away my Christian memory. And I never had any Christian memory of operating in the gifts. So I'm like, he's like, you're operating the gifts. I'm like, man, I don't think I want anyone operating on me. <laughs> I just didn't sound right. right. It's really going to operate on uh, you. I don't know if I want anybody touching me. <laughs> yeah, operate. I could think of a doctor, or I could think of you know guys in the street working an angle, someone who's really got a smooth operation. I don't want no one operating on me. And he said, "No, dude, it's good. It's all good. It's all good. You know, this is God's Holy Spirit." Blah blah blah. So, anyways, went to this meeting. I lifted weights then, like I do now, and I had uh, I was having a shoulder issues. I was having some rotator cuff pain and nerve pinches that were just shooting down my arm and shooting down my left side so after the service is over they start to do ministry time which again is was not familiar to yeah me. it's a charismatic practice yeah. at the end of the service to be able right. to come up and right. be prayed over laid hands exactly on, impartation yeah. right well in a lot of charismatic services in the way i do it as well someone may receive gifts of the holy spirit that will uh, inspire you to come forward right so that he the, the so this guy started saying things like oh there's a woman here that's had uh, chronic migraines you have a bad one even now you need to come forward god will tell him something about someone that he could never have known by a natural means, the Holy Spirit told him, so that lady would go up. So that's how the, often the altar gets filled and people respond, it's from a gift. All that said, he says, there's a guy out there that's got, you got pain in your left shoulder and you, know, you got nerve pinches running down your, and, and so when he's saying this again, you know, I'm not used to this. So he says, pain in shoulder, I'm going, hmm, I got pain in my shoulder. Huh. You know, I'm just thinking, yeah. I'm not thinking it's me though. Sure. I don't know what he's doing. And then he's, he's, he's giving the details, and he's going, and you, it's a sharp pain, and it's running all the way down your arm, and I'm kind of looking like, and going down to your hand, and I'm like, check. You know, <laughs> he's naming all these different things, and more and more I'm being convinced, uh, wow, was, there's a guy in here just like me who's got pain. <laughs> Dang, I wonder if he's a power lifter, right, too. Right, 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 So he's, he's checking them all off, and then uh, he says, if that's you, you need to come up here. I'm like, oh, you got a winner, you know. So uh, I went up there because he said, if that's you, you need to come up here. Well, it was me. I have all of them. Maybe there's another guy coming up, but that was me also. <clears throat> all that to say, he said, lift up your hands. I lifted up my hands, and he laid hands on me. And <clears throat> it was one of the most powerful experiences, the second most powerful experience to my first to my, my salvation. And I just felt the power of God come on me. I, I remember very little because I was transported. I did not 
I, w- I did not see that I was in that sanctuary anymore. Yeah. I saw the hands of the Lord come and lay hands on my head and do such an incredible healing work that would probably take a long time here to, to share. But needless to say, I started speaking in tongues. Didn't know what that was. No one prayed for me to speak in tongues. No one told me to speak in tongues. I was just speaking uncontrollably in a language that wasn't any of the languages I was taught. Um and uh, I later was told you're speaking in, in tongues and you can do that whenever you want. It's a gift from God, et cetera, et cetera. So I started speaking in tongues uncontrollably and uh, I must have fell out under the power of God on the floor. I felt like I was standing in water holding on to live wires. The electricity mm. was so powerful, I was shaking, but it didn't feel like that in terms of uh, the negative aspects. It was very ecstatic and euphoric, indescribable, the, the nature of the, the euphoria. It was something I, I never experienced. It was beautiful, pure beauty, ecstasy in the presence of the Lord. And I must have fell out under the, the under the power of God because uh, when I woke up, I'm guessing I was out for maybe 20 minutes or more. All the lights in the church were off. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <laughs> they really and, took good care of you. Right. And it was like one or two, a couple ushers were around me. It was, I think it was two ushers and then the pastor was in his office. He came out afterwards. And uh, once I came to, they were there to like pick me up and oh, yeah. kind of debrief me. I'm like, whoa, what's going on here? I'm looking around. Ain't no one in church. Did I do something wrong or something like that? Because I'm not used yeah. to this. They explained it to me. And, uh, you know, power of God was on you. You got baptized in the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. So it was an impartation. And they, they had it all on cassette. So I was able to listen to the prophecies he gave. He spoke stuff into my life from his own anointing and imparted unto me uh, these gifts. Um, and then uh, the pastor comes out and he looks at me and I'm covered in, in oil. My shirt's ruined, covered in oil. And uh, the pastor looked at the ushers and said, why'd you do this? And they said, well, the Holy Spirit just kept telling us he needed more. So he kept pouring more on him. And of course, they were all laughing. I thought it was funny. Um, they didn't reimburse me for the shirt, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I got a whole lot more there right. than the shirt I get uh, the new clothing of the Spirit. So anyways, that was an example of impartation. Someone laid hands. I got yeah. baptized in the Holy Spirit. It was imparted unto me the Holy Spirit's power, the gifts. And, and uh, that was the beginning of many uh, impartations. That's beautiful. And and I think uh, it's safe at the Holy Spirit Conference to expect that to happen to someone. It, yeah, maybe not the same thing in the yeah, same but... way. <clears throat> but God has something for you. God has more for you. And... Uh, if you're open, you got to be open and receptive. I was, I was open. I was even a little bit open, and God came through to crack. Yeah, you got to be open and willing to receive from God, and not feel like, well, I have it all, because you won't be able to receive. Then, got to be humble. We have to come as little children. Be humble. Come hungry and thirsty, because only the hungry and thirsty are filled. If you think you're already filled, God's not going to fill you. Mm. It doesn't go against your will. So you got to be hungry and thirsty. Come as a child. Come expecting. God, to share and give to you what you need. Pray, God, I'm going to this conference. Prep your heart. Whatever you have for me, whatever you want to communicate to me and impart to me, may my heart be open and willing to receive, regardless of what I may think in my own mind or by what I see, hear, feel, you know, my own experience. Don't let that hinder what you have. I don't want to be a hindrance. I want to be open. If you're open, then God will give you what you need, either while you're in the uh, uh, while you're sitting down listening to what's happening or when he when when randy lays hands on you it could happen at any time we can't put it in a box 
But stuff like that happens. I've seen people get saved at these conferences, get healed of all manner of illnesses, mm. physical, emotional, spiritual, whatever. Um, I've seen people set free from bondages, like we talk about deliverance. I've seen people get filled, baptized with the Holy Spirit, and, and activated in the gifts, speaking in tongues, other things. I've seen people get slain in the Spirit. I've seen all sorts of things uh, happen. It's an amazing conference, mm, and we want great. all of you to come. So December 6th at Christ United Methodist Church, you can register online at united.edu. It's incredibly affordable, but I'm also going to put this out there. If you want to go and you need financial help, uh, email me and uh, we can help. We can, yes, we we both, can figure we out a way. There are lots of options. Yes. If you want to go and experience the power of the Holy Spirit, do not let anything stop you. Uh, you can always hit us up, uh, Tony at Restoration Centerville. I know how to get a hold of Dr. Bellini. Right. Uh, we'll make sure that we do whatever we can to get you there. Right. Don't um, let money be an object. Yeah, don't yeah. let money be a be an object. So, Dr. Malini, thank you so much. Hey, it's good to be here. I loved, uh, I love being able mm. to wrestle with those questions. And what great questions from our listeners! Oh man, wonderful questions, awesome questions, insightful, deep. You got, you got a thinking group. Up. Yeah, I got a thinking group. So uh, I can't wait to see what God does, and uh, maybe sometime in December we'll get back and kind yeah, of uh, wrap everything mm, up yeah. around. Talk a little about how the Holy Spirit Conference went. Yeah, we kind of debrief Yeah, debrief it. I'd like that. I'd like that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hey, thanks again so much for listening to this conversation. As always, the best compliment that you can give us is to share it with a family member, maybe a friend, somebody who's wrestling with the Holy Spirit or what it means to live and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Also, uh, we mentioned at the end, don't forget to come visit us at the Holy Spirit Seminar. I'll be there. Uh, I'm excited to receive what Dr. Clark has for us. I'm excited to hear what the Holy Spirit says and does in our time together today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this community. And should you ever need to get a hold of us, uh, you can always find me on Instagram at TWMilt. Same on Twitter or on Facebook, the Reclamation Podcast with Tony Miltenberger. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day.